Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try to figure out when the office actually ended because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host. And with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, everybody. Today, we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 14, Ben Franklin. In this week's episode, the employees take part in two separate parties. A historical figure visits the office, and the Jim, Karen, and Pam saga continues on. We start this cold open with Michael talking to a camera, but not in the sense that we are used to. He is making a video for his future son, because he is assuming he's having a son. And it is one of those videos where that starts off with, if you're seeing this, I am dead, essentially. And so it's Michael trying to impart his wisdom onto his unborn, at this point, child. Michael says to the regular camera crew, the documentary crew that we all know and love, that his inspiration for this video came when he was using a metal fork to scrape some gunk off his outlet. In doing that activity, unsurprisingly, he gave himself a pretty nasty electrical shock. He said when it came to, which means that he electrocuted himself to such a degree that he passed out, he decided that he just had to do this video because he would want his son to know the dealio of life. So Michael is responding to his not-so-near-death experience. (laughs) Sure. He gives his future son a lot of bad advice in this video. He really does. It's pretty unfortunate because, well, it starts out with something that could be useful, um, how to jump a car. Now, Curtis knows how to jump a car. Yes, we had to do this not too long ago. (laughs) We did. Um, Michael does not, though. He says that you should put the jumper cables anywhere. Anywhere on the engine. Which could not be further from the truth. Because, now I don't know how to jump a car, but I looked it up on the internet to double check what Curtis was doing so that he didn't die when we did it in our garage a couple weeks ago. And... There is a funny shot here of when Michael is like putting just these clamps literally anywhere on the car. Yeah. And Dwight, who is shooting the film with like a little handy cam, like pans it over to his own face and just shakes his head because what Michael is telling his son here is completely incorrect. The next skill that Michael wants to teach his son is to how to take a bra off of a woman. And he first goes to Pam to help demonstrate this. And, of course, Pam declines. So next we see Michael unhooking the bra off of an unknown figure. And Michael's advice is to just basically twist and twist and twist until eh, something happens. Curtis, you are a man. I am. Has this skill ever been actually needed in your man life? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Is that the proper technique? 
Absolutely not. Twist until something breaks. No, I have to imagine that's very uncomfortable for you, the woman in that situation. Sure. Turns out that somehow Michael and Dwight have obtained a bra and they are forcing Dwight to wear it to, t- to demonstrate this skill. We don't see any other things uh, that Michael is demonstrating for his future son, but he ends off the video just saying, you know, remember, I will always love you. And then Dwight interrupts and says, well, what if he's a murderer? What if that's how you died? <laughs> sort of ruining the whole thing. Michael gets flustered and says, do you really want to do this? And then we hear Dwight say, yes, I want to do this. Then we cut to opening credits. So, it's, so that's kind of the end of our cold open. It's one of those ones that... Funny, I wouldn't say it's one of the best cold opens ever, um, but doesn't have any relation to the episode. So to kick off the episode, we see Michael in the office getting people excited for Phyllis's wedding, which we learned is in six days. Yes, Phyllis is marrying Bob Vance. And Michael says the reason he wants to get everyone pumped for Phyllis's wedding is so that when time comes for his own wedding, Phyllis returns the favor. The party planning committee is in full force. They are throwing Phyllis an afternoon bridal shower in the office, girls only. And Michael has said that he has decided to throw a bachelor party for Bob because Vance Refrigeration is in the same office complex. And so the uh, guy's shower will be from 2.30 to 3.15, which was the only time that Bob had available. <laughs> which is just hilarious because you know Bob was not going to rearrange anything for a Michael-planned bachelor party. And this kind of goes along with what we saw in earlier in the episode where Michael is really kind of making himself too involved in Phyllis and Bob Vance's wedding. Yes. In the sense that, you know, like he said, he wants to make sure everybody is real excited for it. And so he has taken it upon himself to plan a bachelor party during the workday for Bob Vance. Something I have to imagine Bob Vance did not ask him to do, but Michael was just like, yep, we're doing it. And this, of course, will continue into the next episode at Phyllis's wedding. Yeah, a very cringy, very, very cringy low point for Curtis in season three. Yes. Turns out that Michael has never been to a bachelor party. He's seen them on TV, he knows about them, but he's never been to one. And this is revealed when Todd Packer stops by the office. Michael really wants him to come to the bachelor party, but he has a full day of sales calls, so he is not able to attend. But he's asking Michael, you know, what the activities will be. Michael says that he's going to grill some steak, they'll have poker, darts, and Todd's just so confused. He's like, okay, well, what about the stripper? And Michael's like, well, we couldn't have a stripper in the office. And all it takes to convince Michael that, yeah, you could, is Todd saying, well, get one for the girls, separate but equal. That's what that means. If, you, if they can have a stripper, you, your party can have a stripper. This is all it takes for this seed to just bloom in Michael's mind. Because one, it's Todd Packer, and he'll do anything that Todd says. 
And two, if that's what you're supposed to do, then that's what he should do. Like this sort of stereotypic, stereotypical thing Michael wants to be a part of. And honestly, the day that they had planned doesn't sound that awful for a work bachelor party. I mean, for whatever you can consider a work bachelor party. Sure. Like, Darts, steaks, poker. Cool. Whatever. We'll hang out for a little bit in the afternoon, kill some time before we all go home and later. Curtis, you are a pretty seasoned bachelor party goer. Mm-hmm. Tell us your ideal bachelor party and tell us whether you feel as though strippers are necessary for bachelor parties. Well, to state the obvious, the ideal bachelor party depends on the soon-to-be groom himself. It depends on what he likes, and that's not unlike any bachelorette party as well. Um, For example, on my bachelor party, we went to a cabin on Table Rock Lake, which is in Missouri, and basically just sat around and drank beers and grilled out and got on boats for three days. We did go to, we did go into Branson, Missouri, which we were told is not exactly bachelor party central, (laughs) but we didn't really go for that aspect of it. You weren't going for a Vegas. Right. And it, it was a, it was a way to go eat at a restaurant and go to a bar or two. And I thought it was a good time. I think everybody else had a good time. I have been to Vegas bachelor parties, and those are fun, but just like any other Vegas weekend, like after three days, you're you're pretty much done. Like I've and I've done the club scene in Vegas, I've done the pool party scene in Vegas. Those are fun, and those are at least activities to do, so you're not Literally just gambling <laughs> all, the time. all your money. Yeah. So I feel like, and I, this is a discussion that we have had before, where the differences between the bachelorette and the bachelor parties are, if you get a bunch of guys together to sit around and drink beer and grill out, buy a lake, whatever, they're most guys like, all right, cool. This is, I'm happy with this. Whereas bachelorette parties, there is a little more involved. There's a, there's a lot of activities. Yes. You can't just sit there and have fun and drink with your friends. You got to play games. You got to have a scavenger hunt. You got to do all these things. You have to have the... The bride has to dress in white, and then all the other girls dress in black. Like, you have to do these things that any time, like, I, I sometimes I feel just talking to you and other women kind of takes away from the fun of it. Like, it just is, it makes it a big to-do where it's just like, no, we can just hang out. Yes, I am not as seasoned a bachelorette party goer as Curtis is for bachelor parties. Um, And I will say my own bachelorette party was, I thought, super fun. I loved it, obviously, since I picked it out. I love Bloody Marys. We went to a Bloody Mary bar, and I love puzzles, and we went to an escape room. And it was a fantastic time. 
um, in my opinion, because those are what I enjoy to do. I didn't want to go out of town. I didn't want to go overnight anywhere. Um, and I don't begrudge anyone that does. It's just yes. that fit for me. And so that's what you were saying. You have to really pick what fits for the bride or the groom. Yeah, and, and I'm sure people people do appreciate that every once in a while. It's like, okay, great. I don't have to take a vacation day yeah. and then spend money on an Airbnb or a hotel or whatever. Like, And that was a big thing for you. You wanted to sleep in your own bed at night. Like, and that's what sucks sometimes is that bachelorette or bachelor party weekends turn into this huge budget item. Like, It turns into $500 plus because everyone's got to chip in for the three-night stay in a hotel or the Airbnb or a flight or all the food and the alcohol. And if you're a lady, all the decorations and you got to have the koozie and the correct t-shirt and whatever. Um, and so it does kind of sometimes turn into an expensive thing. And there are brides and grooms that do incorporate strippers into their bachelor bachelor parties. And I think that's right for them. Now, you have been to a strip club. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I take issue with in this episode, and we'll get there a little bit, but it's like being a stripper is shameful. Yeah, they definitely look down on this woman that shows up to the bachelor party. Because it can be not for you, but I just think in this American society, this puritanical sense about how we view sex and how we view sex workers. But there's something wrong with having the confidence and the ability to to strip, to dance, to do that, and to have that amazing confidence to put yourself out there to do. Now, what I see problematic from both sides, I personally do not care for the movie Magic Mike, and I'll tell you why. I don't like it when men in society objectify women to just objects. Sure. So I have a real problem with Magic Mike doing the exact same thing to men. And it shouldn't be okay just because it's Channing Tatum. Right. And that's the problem I feel where women just like lose their minds over this. I'm like, no, no, the goal for me personally as a feminist is equal, equalness. Right. No objectification yes. of anybody. The opposite of misogyny is not, hey, let's just do the other thing. So that is my only problem with with stripping strippers. It should be respected as something. And the problem I see sometimes just in the pop culture sense when you hear just men talking about going to strip clubs, it's just going to ogle something that they couldn't get at home or this forbidden fruit thing. And maybe instead of going to have an appreciation for just women and women's bodies. Yeah, yeah. So to answer your question, the initial question, no, I don't think that's an essential part of a bachelor party. If that's what the bachelor wants to do, fine, I'll go along. But yeah, I'm not going to be the one being like, so when we go into the strip club. Right. The one sort of hesitation I have is having a stripper come to like a private Airbnb or a house. Yeah, that's yeah. The and mostly as sort of a safety thing. 
that's why I feel like strip clubs are a little bit more safe because they do have bouncers. There is that check on the attendees to sort of make sure that this is safe for everyone involved. Right. So, yes, this episode, we do have Michael deciding that, yes, we are going to go out and get strippers. He assigns the task of getting the stripper for the guys' party to Dwight, and the girls' party is given to Jim. So we see Dwight on the call with the agency through which he is hiring the dancer. And Which, side note, I know it's probably the middle of a work day, which it is, and that probably not uh, booked for that time, but you probably couldn't do this day of. Right. <laughs> and he is being Dwight in this situation and just asking weird questions and, and putting weird parameters on the, uh, you know, on what kind of stripper they want. Yeah, no moles, no tattoos, ruddy cheeks, thick calves. <laughs> yeah. So, as we said, Jim is in charge of getting the male stripper for the bachelorette party, and he goes a little bit different route with his phone call. Michael told him to call the local male strip club, essentially. Which I have a hard time believing one of those is existing in Scranton. Sure. Uh, and Jim instead calls the Scholastic Speakers of Pennsylvania. And Michael should have known that something was up when Jim calls him to ask, who do you think they would like the best? And the options are Ben Franklin, SpongeBob SquarePants, and then I think George Washington, Ray Blink, and somebody else. I think George Washington is correct. And so Jim settles on Ben Franklin. Side note. What scholastic speech is SpongeBob SquarePants going to give? That's what I thought too. I was like, well, that's a really weird inclusion there. Yeah, for the kids, I guess. I guess. So we see the Ben Franklin impersonator come in to the office, and Michael immediately introduces him to the women of the office, and he clearly still doesn't get it. He thinks that this is an actual male stripper dressed as a Ben Franklin impersonator, that the Ben Franklin costume is part of the deal. And this man is so confused as to why Michael is being a huge weirdo in his introduction to all the ladies. And good on the women of the office for being good sports about this. <laughs> yeah, they had fun with it. Because they pretty... Pretty eat. They pretty early on figure out that this isn't. This man is not going to take off his clothes. Meredith is super disappointed. Angela is probably having the best time of anybody, I'd say. Yes. When this Ben Franklin impersonator like starts his his history lesson about the life of Ben Franklin, like Angela is seen very intently, like listening and yeah. like nodding her head along. And everything. And Pam and Karen decide to have a little fun. And Pam asks if Ben Franklin has a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And then follows that up with, but don't you have many girlfriends like in France? 
because Ben Franklin was known to have paramours in Paris. Yeah. And then later, Ben Franklin is starting to take part in the party aspect of this, and he is seen tying a knot with a cherry stem with his tongue. And because they all kind of get in a circle, and he's in the middle, so they're trying to liven it up a little bit. I think for Phyllis's sake, and really probably the only person that wouldn't be okay with that, again, would be Angela. Everyone else is, is cool with that. And so Pam kind of keeps pushing the envelope, and she asks the impersonator if Benjamin Franklin wears boxer briefs or pantaloons, at which point the impersonator is like, oh, he is thinking that Pam is flirting with him Mm -hmm. as himself, as just whoever this man is. Right. Things are not going quite as well in the bachelor party. So all the guys of the office have gathered in the warehouse, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot going on. We see Michael grilling out steaks on his George Foreman grill, and Ryan asks him if this is the same grill that he grilled his foot on, and Michael's like, yeah, it is. But he cleaned off all the foot on it, which is what he said. And he only has plastic cutlery, which does not work for these big, thick T-bone steaks. Yes. And I have to admit, like, these are, like you said, very large steaks. So that had to take, that would take more than the 45 minutes allotted time to get all of those steaks cooked. Yeah, no kidding. But otherwise, it's pretty much just everybody sitting around in the warehouse. Kevin tries to get a poker game going. Because as we know, Kevin is very good at poker. And then Michael comes in and ruins it. Yes. And so about this time is when the stripper shows up. Yes. Elizabeth comes in, um, has Dwight turn on her music, and wants to start doing her routine. This is what I, I mean, no one seems very into the stripper. Uh, Bob is really against it because she was going to give him a lap dance. Roy says he's not interested. Jim is sort of averting his eyes. Michael is very awkward about it. um, And he decides that he will be the one to get the lap dance. He's super weird here. uh, Can't stop talking. Asks, you know, do you use Tide? Your clothes smell good. And then she gets her shirt off and he stops the whole thing. He's like, I have a girlfriend. I shouldn't be doing this. And really from there, the party disbands. Michael goes upstairs and he's pretty wrapped with guilt. Dwight, being the resourceful person that he is, brings the stripper upstairs and sits her at Oscar's desk and puts her to work because, as he says, we paid you for three hours. We're going to get three hours of work out of you. I'm so confused why, if the bachelor party was only 45 minutes, that they paid for three hours unless that was, like, the minimum or right. something. So, really, in the rest of the episode, we kind of get the fallout from these parties, wouldn't you say? Yeah. As we said, Michael is feeling very guilty about the stripper giving him, like, a half lap dance. And he is going around the office seeking advice. And he first talks to Benjamin Franklin. The 
Benjamin Franklin impersonator essentially tells Michael, as Benjamin Franklin, that he shouldn't tell Jan because women are the gentler sex and these sort of things just serve to upset them. And Michael realizes that Benjamin Franklin is kind of a sleaze. He then asks Elizabeth, do you think I should tell my girlfriend that you danced on me? And Elizabeth gives him sort of poetic advice. She says, secrets, secrets are no fun. Secrets, secrets hurt someone. And Michael has, acts as if this was like the Dalai Lama imparting some just mind-blowing wisdom on him. Yeah. So Michael decides to call Jan and quote-unquote confess. Jan is like, what are you talking about? When did this happen? Was this last night? He said, no, it was just now in the office. And she's like, I should just fire you. That is the bigger problem here, that you thought it was okay to have a bachelor party during work time and to hire a stripper for said bachelor party. And Michael's like, oh my gosh, you're just so wonderful. You're such a good girlfriend. I knew you'd understand. Instead of being concerned that Jan, as his boss, is upset. Yes, as usual, Michael is missing the point here because he asks Jan, are you mad at me about the stripper? And she says, I'm closer to firing you. And he, since he didn't hear yes, he's like, all right, great. I'm in the clear. We're good. And he is clearly not good because Jan does not end this call in a traditional way. She just hangs up on him, essentially. Meanwhile, Gordon, the man who impersonates Benjamin Franklin, is trying to get something going with Pam. He says they had some electricity and tells Pam his name is Gordon and essentially is trying to ask her out. And Pam's like, oh, no, not what I was going for with this party. And to end the episode, Michael kind of sums up how this day has gone for him. And he pretty much says that sometimes the best advice comes from the most surprising of places. So you know who turned out to be kind of a creep? Ben Franklin. And Elizabeth, the stripper, gave me great advice, which rhymed. Really makes you wonder how Ben Franklin can become president, but someone like Elizabeth can't. I would like to take this moment to point out that this episode is particularly bad in terms of Michael being just an idiot. Yeah, he keeps thinking that Benjamin Franklin was a president. He was not. It starts with him trying to clean an electrical outlet with a metal fork, which is something you tell five-year-olds not to do. Yeah, this, like Curtis is saying, this is an episode of just how does Michael function as a person in society? When he is addressing the office, he says that he is enacting prima nocta with Phyllis, which doesn't even make sense in the context he is using it. And it is especially bad when we get explained by Jim that prima nocta was the practice in medieval England of the lord of the land sleeping with 
any woman that got married on his land for the on their wedding night. When he and Ryan are in the sex shop looking for something. Yeah, I'm not sure why they're there. Again, this is supposed to be just a simple work bachelor party, so I'm not sure why they needed whatever they were going to buy from the sex store for the bachelor party. Yeah. But he can't stop laughing. He is just giggling and giggling and giggling because there are things that look like penises in there, probably. He thinks that the Founding Fathers came over on the Mayflower. He gets talked into the fact that separate but equal means getting a stripper for both parties. Yeah, that's particularly bad. And as we just stated, he is blown away by... Elizabeth's advice, pretty much because it rhymes. Yeah, that sounds kind of like a nursery school rhyme, like something you teach to like preschoolers. Yes, so Michael is especially dumb in this episode. I'd say that's a pretty accurate assessment. Meanwhile, the Pam, Jim, and Karen saga continues on, and really, it keeps getting worse and worse. This is a particularly awkward episode because, if you remember back, we ended the previous episode with Karen asking Jim if he still had feelings for Pam, and Jim responds, yes. So the fallout from that is that Karen and Jim have been having lots of long talks every night for about a week. I can see why they would have talks to sort of make sure that Jim is actually feeling this relationship? Is he also into Karen? Does he have feelings for her? They need to sort that out. Karen says they've been going through a rough patch, but she's been feeling better about it. We see Jim yawning at his desk. Karen keeps kind of looking over at him. And then she just gets up and then hugs him. And this, of course, is worrisome to Pam for multiple reasons. Because, as we know... Jim and Pam are not over their feelings for each other. But also, there is a side of Pam that still cares for Jim as a friend. And so she can tell that Jim and Karen probably aren't just aren't on the same page at this point. So she talks to Jim in the break room about this for about mm, one minute until it gets super awkward and they just start talking about sleep. I'm not sure why Pam and Jim are being so awkward around each other. Again, if you think back to last episode, they were seemingly fine. They were playing that prank on Andy, and maybe that was enough of a focus. But now they're back to sort of tiptoeing around each other. And maybe that's this vibe that Jim's giving off since he's been having to have all these talks with Karen. But it's just very tense. And Pam says, it seems like you're kind of tired. Is everything okay? And he does admit that he and Karen have been having a lot of late talks. And then that's, like Curtis said, that's when Pam goes into, well, never underestimate a good night's sleep. Like, it's a big difference for me. If I get eight versus six, you got to get your REM. And it's just, she sort of just keeps babbling on and on. Yeah, so they have recognized the issue and then they refused to kind of talk it out between them probably because they know that if they really get into it it's going to lead to hey i still have feelings for you and 
you have feelings for me. Like they both mutually still have feelings for each other. They just don't want to say that out loud. And here's where the confusing part comes in a little bit for me. So after the bridal shower slash bachelorette party, Karen talks to Pam in the kitchen. And she says, hey, I know this is weird, but I just want to talk to you about this. I know that you and Jim kiss. Karen goes on to say that her and Jim talked about it and it's totally fine. Uh, but she just wants to talk about it with Pam. And I'm, this is where I'm confused. What is she going to get out of Pam here? This was before Karen knew Jim. This is before Jim moved to Stanford. I'm just not sure this is entirely necessary because also we're not sure if Pam knows 100% definitively that Jim still has feelings for Pam. Yeah, I guess. I think this is more of a clear the air move on Karen's part to say, hey, I know this thing about you. I want to let you know that I know this thing about you so that we can move forward in our relationship because there are times when it appears that they have what could be a friendship. Yeah, I think they would be friends, honestly, if Jim weren't involved in any sense. I have to imagine that Jim's telling of their kiss I mean, it had to, he had to give her the full flavor, right, of what happened, that Pam rejected him twice. Well, he, he already told her that earlier on. That's he true, in that, that coffee shop. Yeah, I, before I left, I let her know how I felt, and she said no, so that's why I left. So, and I think what Karen is hung up on, and rightfully should be, is the fact that Jim still has feelings. Like, Karen's committed to this relationship with Jim, and Jim is really not, as we know. There's another sort of tense moment, and it's before this moment in the kitchen, where Dwight's on the phone trying to secure the stripper for the bachelor party. And he asks Jim, okay, what color hair do you think she should have? Brunette or redhead? And Jim thinks about it in a second, and he says blonde. And the reason that that sort of is a standout moment is because the writers are sort of trying to pit Karen versus Pam against each other for Jim. Like, if he would have chose Redhead, that would have been a point for Pam. If he would have chose Burnett, that would have been a point for Karen. Mm -hmm. So by saying blonde, he's choosing neither. And after he says blonde, Karen and Pam look at each other and then sort of look away awkwardly. There is this sort of rivalry developing in a way between the two of them. Again, Karen a little bit unwittingly, she did not know what she was getting into here with Jim. And Jim is not in the clear in this episode in terms of grappling with his feeling either. Later on in the break room, after the everything is over, Kelly and Ryan are sitting there at a table, you know, just eating a snack together, and Jim and Pam are in there as well. And Kelly brings up the fact that Pam was kind of hitting on the Ben Franklin guy. And Pam was like, no, that is not what was happening at all. And Jim sort of pats himself on the back being like, oh, that's cool, Beasley. I guess I picked the right guy. Right. 
And kind of apropos of nothing, as Pam is walking out of the room, she says to Ryan, hey, you know what? I'm ready to be set up with one of your business school friends. And that kind of shocks Jim and, and sets him back a little bit. Yeah, he sort of takes it as an affront. And I guess you would, he takes it as sort of a shock, I guess, because they have a history. He laid it out there to Pam, I have feelings for you, and she rejected them, but now she's willing to be set up with just some random business school guy. So the the love triangle really continues. And again, as we've said several times this season, if we're placing ourselves in the place of a first-time viewer, we really don't know what or where this could go. And there's a lot of low blows in some ways. And, and Pam, we didn't really finish off the interaction between Pam and Karen in the kitchen, but she's so taken aback and awkward. And, and she's like, oh, oh, you know, sorry, I don't know. She just doesn't know how to have the conversation. Now, by the end of the season, she will. But she doesn't like conflict or confrontation at all and that's very apparent and I don't think Karen is as shy about those things for sure so that pretty much wraps up this episode we don't get a whole lot in terms of moving plots forward but we do see still some development with Jim Pan and Karen so with that let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode very few fun facts, which I was kind of surprised about. This was written by Mindy Kaling. And I also want to point out that we don't see Oscar. He just came back last episode, but we don't see Oscar at all. So maybe Oscar Martinez, the actor, was still shooting the pilot or, you know, the opening episodes for that other TV series. Right. And I would say that maybe, like, these, it was another situation where... Episodes were shot in a certain order, but then placed in a different order. That could be. But we don't see Andy either, who left last episode. So, Curtis, do we have any firings? We do. Um, We lose Michael for several reasons. (laughs) The first one is when he is shooting the video for his son, basically volunteering Pam to be the person to which they demonstrate how to unhook a bra Mm -hmm. and also for hiring a stripper for a bachelor party in the office yes i would agree with that it is michael's eighth firing this season and his 21st overall we also lose todd packer for showing up essentially (laughs) and doing todd packer things yeah he like right off the bat yep This is his first firing this season and his third overall. Antoinette, do you have a Dundee to give out? Yes. The Too Little Too Late Award goes to Roy. During the bachelor party in the warehouse, Roy has a one-on-one with the camera in which he says that he does not find strippers sexy, but you know what he does find sexy? Pam's art. He says that she's an artist. And that's awesome, and it's super moving, and her art is sexy. However, if you think back to about this time last season, when Pam wanted to uh, join that Dunder Mifflin program 
um, and go to art school, learn some graphic design. He was not about it at all. And so it's just doing the things that he should have been doing all along just because Pam left him. What about you? What is your identity? I have two to give out. Okay. Uh, the first is the Relic of the Times, Dundee, and that goes to the George Foreman Grill. We have seen this before where in the injury when Michael grills his foot, but it does come back here, and it's one of those things that it just kind of shows the, the, you know, the of the times of this show, because you don't really hear much about George Foreman girls anymore. Like they're around still, but I don't think anyone has bought one in probably like 10 years. You and see them often at garage sales. Yes. And so they're like hand-me-downs. They're great for like college dorms yeah. and like your first house when you don't really know how to cook much. But yeah, you don't really see them like brand new much anymore. Yeah, that's true. My other Dundee is the grown-up in the room, and that goes to Karen, because in the Jim Pam Karen love triangle, she is literally the only person who is acting like a grown-up in this situation. Yeah, that's she accurate. She is confronting her feelings. She is making other people confront their feelings, and she is laying things out on the table, whereas Jim and Pam, not only with each other, but Jim with Karen, are comfortable with just kind of dancing around the things that need to be said. Like, I have to imagine that the long talks that Karen and Jim have is a lot of Jim just kind of sitting there and not looking at Karen and, like, nodding along and probably just being like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Or giving not a lot of information, like short answers. Yes. She's got to ask a lot of follow-ups. Right. Because we have already seen the fact that Jim, this isn't it for Jim. Like, this is a rebound for Jim because he essentially was talking to Michael mm -hmm. about his relationship, but in the scope of Michael's relationship. Correct. Yes. So, again, poor Karen. <laughs> yeah. Who is your employee of the month? This is a pretty hard pick. I guess my employee of the month would be Elizabeth. Um, the woman that came to be the stripper for the bachelor party, she was willing to, I guess, answer phones uh, to finish out her three hours worth of work. And she gave Michael some pretty sage advice that he probably should have already known. <laughs> Who was your employee of the month? Ironically, mine is Ben Franklin. <laughs> Because he just is really good at sticking with the bit. Yeah, like there's, that's true. There's literally only one time where he is not Ben Franklin. And every other time that we see him on camera, he is Ben Franklin. Yeah. Even when he's not performing, like when he was talking to Michael about, um, you know, women, woman advice. And this is really hammered home in just some very short scenes with Dwight, where Dwight offers him a chocolate bar, and the guy is like, where did you even get that from? That's a, that is a delicacy of the Amazon. We, would, we don't have that here. And then Dwight asks him who the rulers of certain European nations are, and he's able just to rattle them off like, like it's nothing. And, this, and Dwight is doing this because... Jim has convinced him that this is 
the real Ben Franklin. And Dwight's trying to trip him up to see if that's accurate or not. Yeah. So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And keep listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and comment wherever you can to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you listening to us. We hope you are staying safe and just keeping yourself entertained in this difficult time. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.